So welcome back to Blended. My co-host Madison and I are joined by a fabulous new group of professionals who are overflowing with passion, insight, and experience when it comes to all of the issues around diversity, inclusion, equity, and community. And today we're going to be diving specifically into the transgender and non-binary community so that we can learn, educate, and celebrate with our often marginalized friends. So welcome to the show, Lori, Kai, Gabrielle, and Brian. Thank you all for joining Madison and I today. So let's get started with some introductions. Can you each tell me who you are, what you do, and how you identify? So Lori, we're going to start with you. Great. Um, so my name is Lori Benson. I'm with EY in the ESGS team, and I identify as she, her, and I'm really excited to be here and have this conversation. It's important to have these conversations, and um, so I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. Thank you, Lori. Kai, I'll go to you next. Sure. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm really excited to be here. My name is Kai, I, or Kai Scott with TransFocus Consulting, and I use the pronouns he and him. Uh, I identify as a transgender man. That means I was female assigned at birth, and I identify as a man. Of course, that's one part of a, a large, 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 much greater whole of, of who I am. But certainly, as it pertains to this topic, I have particular lived experience among a large spectrum of different experiences. So I um, always love to hear both the share of my experience, but then also hear of others. Awesome. Thank you. Brian, you're next. Thanks, Sarah. I'm uh, Brian Glick. I'm the CEO at Chain.io. We're a supply chain software company. And I think more relevant today, my pronouns are he and him. And uh, probably more relevant today, I'm also the uh, very proud dad of a, a trans son. So uh, bringing the, that experience to, to uh, today's conversation. I love that. Thank you so much. Gabrielle. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Gabrielle. I use they, them pronouns. I'm a white translator. Um, in terms of my identity, the terms that feel home to me uh, currently are non-binary, gender fluid, and transfeminine. Um, they are all kind of limited in a way. They, I don't feel completely represented, like they completely define who I am. Um, I guess that's the kind of inherent nature of those kind of tags. Um, but that's what works for me right now. Awesome. Awesome. I love that. Thank you for sharing. Madison, over to Hi. you. Hello. Hey. Happy to be here as always. Um, I'm Madison Mobley. I am the head of belonging, inclusion, and culture at a company called Fair Market. We are a procurement tech startup in the intelligent sourcing space. I am Black. I'm a millennial, I identify as queer, I use she, her, they, them pronouns, and currently sitting here in Dallas, Texas, feeling fancy. It's sunny today. Nice, 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 nice. Am I considered a millennial? I don't know if I'm considered a, a millennial. Might be. I think I might be like at the very, very front of it. But anyways, that that's that's a conversation for another day, I think. So Sarah Barnes-Humphrey, founder and host of Let's Talk Supply Chain, host of the Blended podcast. I am Caucasian female sitting just outside of Toronto. I identify with she, her, and um, 
you know, I've got fur babies, I've got two stepchildren and just, you know, love and life. And I'm so excited to have this conversation today. So we've got a lot to cover today. I think that this is, you know, a big subject with a lot of different strands, strands, and I don't think we can maybe cover them all just in one show. So let's start with some of the basics and look to provide a really good platform for our listeners to jump off from. So first, let's get some context with some definitions, because I think there's still a lot of ignorance around what some of these words mean and what they represent to communities involved. So my first question to everybody here is, what is transgender? And maybe, Kai, I'm going to send this over to you, and then maybe Gabrielle and Brian can jump in on this. Sure. Yeah. So the broad umbrella term of transgender in its most essential form kind of boiled down, it essentially means somebody whose gender identity is different than their sex assigned at birth. Typically, when we're born as children, uh, we're assigned a particular sex, typically only female and male options, even though there are more than just that also exist along a spectrum with folks who are intersex. Uh, and then based on what we're assigned, the assumption is typically that we are going to grow up to be that in terms of uh, our gender identity. So if somebody is female assigned at birth, the assumption is that that person will grow up, is a girl and will grow up to be a woman. And that is not the case for most, or not most people, but for some people. And uh, those people uh, are under the broad umbrella of trans. Now, of course, there's a lot of other subcategories to transgender uh, to kind of fill out that spectrum. Uh, and certainly some people may not feel comfortable with the term transgender, even though their gender is different than their sex assigned at birth. So wanting to kind of honor the complexity and what feels, I, I love what Gabrielle said in terms of what feels like home, uh, just understanding and appreciating that language is very complex. So uh, we might have simple definitions, but they might not always fit for everyone. So true. Brian or Gabrielle, do you have anything to add to that? Sure, I can jump in. Um, yeah, I just agree with everything that Kai just said. Um, I think, yeah, one thing that's important to mention is the umbrella term, I think. It is like a, a big umbrella term that kind of represents a lot of different identities within trans. A lot of people think, you know, uh, a lot of people I feel like in my community think about trans and think about uh, trans men and trans women. And although that's true, it's also a much broader spe spectrum and yeah I think as Kai mentioned also the most important thing is what people what feels home to people what people want to identify as there is no like cut definition as to what uh, is trans is not trans and who uh, has access to that term and who can claim that term it's more so um, whatever feels right for people I think uh, Sarah maybe the only thing I would add to that uh, is as someone who's relatively new to this community over the last few years and coming at it, you know, from a, you know, from somebody who doesn't doesn't fall under that umbrella, uh, one of the things that I learned that might be helpful is if you're coming from a good place and you're respectful and you listen to individual people, you don't have to know every word. You don't have to, and you don't have to be able to place them mentally on a map against each other. Like you just have to listen to the person you're interacting with and be respectful to them. And because I know I was very intimidated by, 
you know, people asking me, well, like, okay, so is your child this, 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 or this under, under that? And I was like, it doesn't really matter. And it's probably not going to be the same next year. So, you know, it's more about respect than it is about being an expert on all, every definition of everything. I think that's completely true. And, and it even begs the question as well. Um, and, and, and Gabrielle, I'll, I'll click, kick this to you on how, how we define non-binary, because we're, we're talking about the umbrella and, you know, respecting individuals for where he, she, they, them are right now. What does that mean to you? Yeah, thanks. Um, well, to me, non-binary means uh, any kind of gender. It is also like an other umbrella term in a sense. It's a, so trans is like a larger umbrella and a non-binary is an umbrella under that first umbrella um, and it kind of refers to anyone who identifies as a gender or genders that are uh, beyond the binary so either it could be both genders it could be no gender it could be fluid it could be many genders it's anything that's not completely set as like man and woman anything that goes outside of that goes beyond that includes both or just is more complex um, falls into the non-binary category and some non-binary people don't identify as trans and i think again that's also valid like it's whatever whatever feels right for people right um but for me and for a lot of other non-binary people trans feels right and feels appropriate so um yeah and i like i just want to say also i really like what brian said in terms of like i feel a lot of people kind of get scared and kind of um intimidated by by this when they first come across it because they're not necessarily in the community and i feel like that's fair because it is kind of like a lot of new vocabulary and new things to learn and that makes sense but also you know as brian said like if you come from a good place of like curiosity and respect honestly like mistakes are allowed and you can just uh, be curious and respectful and talk to people and it, it it'll you know it'll work <laughs> We, we jokingly sometimes talk, we're not asking people to be birders of trans people. So remember, when you, I don't know if you've ever been birding, right? You have your, your guide with all the different varieties of birds and you've got your binoculars and you're like, aha, it's a trans woman. You know, it's like, no, 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 you don't have to do that. Basically, if somebody wants to share that part of themselves, they will. And then you just use that term, right? It's really yeah. simple boiled down and with the respect that we've been talking about so I yeah I'm so glad that you guys shared that and I mean to be honest you know we're all individuals no matter whether you identify as trans or you identify as she her or whatever that looks like I think we're getting used to seeing people as individuals and not this like group together bunch of people that need to be lumped into a particular label Right. And it's so amazing to see because we've seen that for so long and society has kind of made us put labels on things and group everything together. And now it's like, no, let's look at the person for who they are, no matter what that is. And maybe like Brian said, the word this year is this, and maybe the word next year is something else, but what does it matter? Everybody's on a journey everybody's on a different journey and we're all going to figure things out as we figure them out when we need to figure them out. Right. And, you know, just to be able to talk about these things, right. And have a conversation and have a dialogue, I think is just extremely important 
on any level to get to know each other. So, so I think, oh, sorry, Sarah, can no, I jump in? So, just, so you, you, you asked at the beginning whether you're still a millennial, right? right I think, uh, yes. <laughs> but I think there is a generational question a little bit that I've, that I've seen and experienced, yeah. which is, you know, I've, I've been in the workforce now almost 30 years. And when I look at people my age, people a bit older, we were sort of raised to always have a label on everything and everything had to be in a category. And one of the questions that I had to challenge people with is why does that, why do you, why is it important to you to assign a label to this? Right. Like, like, and I found that with people younger than me, that is, they're more adaptable to that. So I think those of us who are older, a lot of us have to ask ourselves that question when we get into the, if I'm about to ask this person this question, why do I care about the answer? Why does it matter to me? And do I need to be priding all the way down into the depths of this just so that I feel comfortable with having a category for something, yeah. right? Is it about me or is it about them? So true. So true. And a question that I asked on episode one to Matthew was, can I ask you how you identify? And actually, I'd like to ask Gabrielle and Kai this right now, because the conversation we were having um, was around the words in diversity and inclusion. And, you know, I asked Matthew, I said, can I ask you how you identify? And he said, well, it depends on where we are and who we're with and all there was all these things that I had to think about before I could ask the question. And then by the end of the conversation, and he said, no, just ask me. Do you guys feel the same way that people can just, you know, maybe ask you how you identify? Is that something that is okay? Uh, I, I, it's, that's a, it's interesting one. I don't, because I, this is the work that I do day in, day out. I'm hundred yeah. percent out, right? So it's a, it's a different question for me to ponder than say someone in the workforce wanting to go about their daily lives and, you know, mm -hmm. do their job and interact with people to have, you know, to do whatever they're trying to do, right? Versus um, somebody who that's their primary job is to share about identities to help people better understand and support. Um, so I am very open about my identity and tell stories about it to illustrate different aspects, share, you know, more broadly from the communities that I am part of uh, to to spread that understanding, right. So for me, I'm very intentionally using my identity as a way to help, right? Right. But I don't think everyone should have to do that, right? And people should opt, be able to opt in or out of being the, you know, because it, typically it doesn't just end with sharing one's identity. Typically, like Brian was mentioning, it does kind of cascade into further questioning. Okay. Uh, not necessarily like, you know, you should prove to me why you're this, but oftentimes coming from a good place and that's where it's difficult for sometimes for folks to draw those boundaries to say actually i, I don't want to talk about that i don't want to talk right. how i came to a realization around you know me being non-binary or me using they them pronouns i just want to complete this report or i just want to do this presentation right so right. to the degree that people can read those subtle cues and clues that people are dropping when and, and or listening to them when they don't want to do that right i think there's a certain amount of kind of emotional intelligence so i actually discourage people from 
asking people their gender identity and more providing a space in which that person feels safe and comfortable to come forward and share that more deeply as they deepen their relationship more generally, right? Mm -hmm. And I think those are the, the better nuanced ways of going forward. But of course, I've, I'm just one person and I'm curious to hear what others have to think or say on the matter. Brian? I saw a quote the other day, uh, I was reading about kids um, transitioning in school and what have you, and uh, one of them with a particularly difficult teacher, and they said, if you don't know my name, you don't get to ask me about my penis, right? Mm -hmm. Like this whole idea of like, it is, it's, look, it, it's not your, it's right, like I said, I'm here to do the report, ask me about the report, right? right. So it's one thing to try to correctly, respectfully understand somebody's pronouns it's another thing to say okay like sarah i'm not going to ask you why you're straight so therefore i don't need to ask somebody else questions right. on any other spectrum mm -hmm. so. that's true Lori. we haven't heard from you yet do you want to jump in on this one yeah i actually find it really interesting in the conversation um and my adventure into this community has been one that i am very grateful to kai for is coaching. I think the most important thing is, is that it, it doesn't really matter if the individual has been assigned work, what, you know, why would you ask any other kind of questions other than the work product? But the other part of it that's so important um, is that safe space and fe feeling comfortable to be who you are. And if we can't provide that safe space, and if the questions are, you know, too intimate, um, you know, like you wouldn't normally ask somebody who who isn't uh, trans, or maybe they appear to you in the workplace as one gender, but in fact they have had a trans experience, and you just don't know that. Well, why would it be important for that question to even come up? So, I think. It's good to know and understand and have a safe place, not only for um, those in the community, but for those outside the community. And, and I, I hear you, Brian, and what you're saying, and it, it really makes a lot of sense because, you know, you tiptoe around things, but it's good to be able to have people in the community that can help guide you in what's right and what's wrong. And for that, I'm ever grateful. Um, to the colleagues and the, the friends I've met over the, the time that have been able to give me that safe space to say, you know, how should I, or what's the approach, or, you know, how can I help support um, to make sure that, um, you know, people are being appropriately addressed. And, you know, it's kind of the stand up for, uh, you know, being the advocate and standing up and understanding and learning more. And that's so important that we do that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess my next question then is around mistakes, right? Because you guys did talk about how people do make mistakes and that's okay because we're only human. What is, what is your, or maybe was your approach if someone makes a mistake about your pronouns or your name, why is it, and why sometimes is it hard to point out other people's mistakes? Like, I'm sure there's some sort of nuance here, you know, that people have to navigate when you're having conversations like this. What does that look like? 
I can jump in, sure. Sarah, as a, as a beginning to this conversation, because I've, I've made a few. Um, you know, and in particular, I think it's just building the awareness. And I know with, uh, with many of the experiences that I've had, um, understanding uh, that, you know, you're better off to kind of go, oh, maybe maybe that wasn't quite right. And gee, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean uh, to say something or make a gesture or, or you know, an action that was incorrect. Um, it's better to just confront it. You know, we all have those times when we might make a mistake and it's okay to make a mistake as long as you own up to it and find out what the right path is. I think then, you know, then it's good. But if you try and hide it and not build an understanding and, you know, it just, you know, can create so much more conflict than coming right out and uh, and saying, hey, sorry, I goofed up. Yeah. Well, and I think in society nowadays, when we do make mistakes, regardless of whether it is, you know, in this context or another context, sometimes it is hard to own up to it and, you know, come to the table and say, hey, I was wrong. And so how, how do you deal with that in this kind of environment where people are making mistakes? Do you correct them all the time? Do you not correct them? How, and how do people actually respond? And maybe Gabrielle, I'll send this over to you. How do they respond when you do correct them? I'm sure some are okay with it, some are not, you know, and it, it makes for a difficult situation, I think, all around, don't you think? Yeah, that's true. Um, to me, it definitely, depends whether it's like whether the, the mistake they're making is about me my pronouns or about someone else my approach will definitely change like if it's about me I will likely correct them and um you know mistakes happen and kind of like the best they can do is just kind of say like a very short sorry move on like adapt and and, and practice and try to do better and um like to me, especially around pronouns, it feels like when I feel that someone's intention is good and someone sees me and respects me and doesn't see me as a man, for instance, because I do pass as a man in a lot of circles. Um, and I feel it when someone perceives me as a man, like if they, if I feel like they don't perceive me as a man, I might not even hear it if they misgender me just because I feel like their heart is in the right place. Um, but yeah, if someone does misgender me, I'll just like mention, you know, oh, that's actually the pronoun that I use. And uh, and the best is for people to just say, oh, yeah, OK, cool. And just move on and change, because because then if if people start to kind of like ramble on about like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Like the reason I did this is because that other person kind of gendered you that way or kind of or just like goes into their own guilt and is like, I feel so bad. I should never have done this. I don't know why, where this came from or whatever. Like I I. It puts me in a weird place where I have to kind of give you care when I was right. the one who was misgendered. <laughs> and it's like, this feels like a weird twist on this situation. So <laughs> the best thing is really just to say sorry and move on. And then if it's that's if it's about me, but if it's about someone else, um, I'll definitely like check in with the person first and see if they want me to kind of intervene. Because sometimes in a group setting, you know, someone misgenders someone else and and just like correcting that person brings a lot of attention to the trans person. So I think it's interesting to kind of check in with that other person and see what they need. Uh, if, if they'd rather just like let it go. 
um, if wow. that happens or if they want me to intervene and kind of tell the person or talk to the person after the meeting like there's a lot of different solutions so I think yeah just caring about whatever the individual needs around that is is the main thing but yeah yeah check in sure. with what they need I like that and mm -hmm. Brian I know you want to jump in here because yeah, I because I always do um <laughs> the one of the things that I, I think there's a really also a big difference in somebody you've met who has transitioned versus somebody you knew who is going through a transition. Uh, and the big difference is you will make mistakes, mm -hmm. right? So when my son started transitioning, I probably misgendered my son a thousand times in the first two weeks. And then in the second two weeks, it was probably 500 times. And now it's like knives in my ears when I hear somebody misgender my son. Uh, but if you're in the workplace with somebody and they're going through the transition, first of all, just remember, you're not going to be the only person who makes a mistake and you can just kind of mm. apologize and move on. You, again, you don't have to make a big thing about it, but also knowing you likely will. And if you're coming from a good place, people can be understanding. And if you make a whole thing out of it, then then you're uh, not a nice person. We'll just put it that way. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, and I think, <laughs> Gabrielle, you made a really great point, right? A lot of people make it all about them when they make that mistake. And it's not about me, right? When I make that mistake, it's about the other person. It's about checking in with them and seeing what they need and whether it's important to them or not important to them. And maybe we just let it slide this time. And maybe we don't. And maybe we just say something you know, to let them know that they have made that mistake and that's okay too. And so, and not making a big deal about it either. I mean, I'm, I'm one of those people that make a big deal when I, when I do something wrong and now hearing this, I'm like, oh yeah, okay. I'm going to tone it down next time, regardless of where I am and who I'm talking to. So in episode eight, we talked about bullying and the rec reclamation of certain words. And Madison, I don't know if you want to step in here because you identified as queer, whereas Grant struggled with the use of that word because when he was growing up, it was still like it was classified as a as an awful slur. So he very much identified as gay and it proved that the language that we use is always evolving. Is that the same, you know, in the trans community? What do you think? I'll, I'll probably defer the kind of trans component of the question because I, I don't identify as, as a trans woman or a trans person. Um, I will speak on the queer piece though. Um, and, and before that, while we're sitting here in June, um, you, you can kind of call it like clockwork when you think about kind of the rainbow washing of logos this season or like the pride collections, um, the commercialization of um, our community. So my expectation is always when, when it comes to that kind of activity and then the words that we're using, I think there at minimum should be kind of a crisp understanding um, or a aspireship, let's say, to understand the differences between the L, the G, the B, the T, the Q, the I, the A, the plus, um, and uh, a baseline acceptance of the fact that sex, gender, orientation, and presentation are not synonymous. So um, queer, I think, has expanded beyond meaning only homosexual, which it did 
Once Upon a Time, which I think is what Grant was directly speaking to. Uh, but we've talked other terms as well that have been used often interchangeably with queer. We've talked non-binary, there's gender variant, there's gender fluid. Um, there are people who will use them interchangeably. Um, I think the main thing I'll say on queer, and I, I do think it can apply to um, other terms as well, and Gabrielle touched on this, is there are terms that are going to be accepted by some people and rejected by others, and it gets back to that individual by individual basis by which we identify ourselves and communicate that to those that, that are close to us and those that aren't, but it, it's a matter of choice. Um, I think that same concept holds weight with all labels, but, but I'll pause really quick and let someone weigh in on the trans term specifically. Kai? I, I am trying to think of what, uh, I, I mean, we have gender queer as well, so that that kind of builds off of the, what was kind of started in the sexual orientation sphere of things, and is now kind of leveraged into gender identity to provide more space for not having to kind of lock into a label. Uh, you know, to and has a political aspect of of kind of resisting the norm, right? Um, that said, you know, and of course, some people also have challenge with the queer aspect or it's a queer component of that term. But I'm trying to think of others, and of course, you know, there are things like the T word, which I won't even say. But um, but I don't think that's something that people do use that I'm aware of. Uh, so I don't think that's uh, at play as much in uh, the tr trans community that I can think of. So, but uh, maybe Gabrielle has more insight. Um, yeah, I think it's it's so interesting. I am like a, a big language nerd. Um, and I think it's so interesting to just think about the origins of these terms that we use. And um, uh, the artist Alok Vade Menon uh, does amazing work in kind of like reading those really obscure academic texts, uh, like really dense texts and kind of condense them into short analysis analyses on Instagram. And a lot of their work discusses like those words and what they mean outside of like the current period and outside of, of European spaces. Um, and one thing that's interesting in, in terms of like the word trans is that it comes from, it was kind of used to as a medical term to describe certain people to kind of, um, you know, in, in some cases help access to services for some people and it was kind of accepted by the community. But one thing that's important to remember is that before the term was even accepted by the community, the concept of being trans existed before there were like medical transitions, before like far before uh, we had like our European versions of like a medical transition and that kind really? of stuff. So I think, yeah, the experience itself, like there's across cultures, there has always been, you know, people who kind of went beyond traditional uh, European genders and, and that gender binary. If you look at indigenous languages, for example, like there are plenty of terms that describe complex roles and realities and, and relationships that kind of move beyond uh, man and woman. Um, yeah. So I think it's interesting to kind of see how these terms help us and how they've been accepted by the community, but also how the experience itself is a lot bigger than that and a lot more varied and has just such a deeper history. Absolutely. 
on the, on the subject of language, and I'll I'll actually kick this back to you, uh, Gabrielle. In in your opinion, why is it so important to not misgender people? And and I'll take a step back because one of the kind of extension topics of this conversation is around pronouns. Um, and pronouns remain kind of a sticking point for, for many, um, and understandably so. So why is it so important to not misgender people, but also ensuring that you're using the right pronouns? Um, I'm, I'm sure Kai could talk a lot about like the actual effects of misgendering on people, like the really important consequences of that. But like on a, like even broader way, I feel like you know, language is the only thing we have to communicate, to connect with each other. Like there are other ways to communicate, like more abstract ways and stuff, like dancing, for example. But um, language is like a really useful tool for like um, taking up space and using your voice to express who you are, to connect with people, to make relationships who are so important to who we are. You know, connecting is just so uh, key to being human. And um, using words to express who we are and to connect is, is so important. And, and, you know, so I think our whole sense of reality is always translated by language and that's how we relate to each other. And I think if we want to relate and connect to each other, we kind of have to, to speak the same language in a certain level. And I feel like using the right pronouns is, is that, and people refusing to use the right pronouns is, is people refusing to kind of talk the same language as people and kind of pushing them away from from conversations and spaces so i think like on a like really broad level it is important to use the language because language is something we don't talk about because we kind we don't think about necessarily just because we use it so much and it's just part of our realities but it is like such an important component of human connection and pronouns fits into that uh, as far as I'm concerned. But I don't know if Kai, you want to jump in and talk about the real consequences of misgendering. Yeah. One thing I wanted to add before I go into the impacts is just kind of how misgendering happens, because I don't think we sometimes realize kind of, I like to do a frame by frame breakdown for folks to realize how it actually happens. And it's because we're often if we're meeting a stranger or we're passing somebody on the street, we're often looking at the exterior of someone and either based on their gender expression or maybe the shape of their body, making certain conclusions about them without that information from them directly. And so we're doing this in a split second automatically. It's so deeply ingrained in the way that we think that we probably don't even realize we're doing it. And so just kind of holding back on those assumptions, which is a practice, it doesn't happen overnight. So it is actually, I realize how big of an ask or uh, an invitation that is uh, to, to consider holding space for somebody to provide that if they so wish, uh, or at the very least their pronouns, right? So that we're not making these quick judgment calls. Um, the only reason why it survived is because for the majority, it kind of works out. But when it doesn't work out, that's where it's really troubling and problematic. Well, it's not even problematic, it's just harmful. People don't realize that people for whom the assumption, the incorrect assumptions are being applied, get it over and over and over, uh, you know, 20, 30 times a day, 
you know, navigating the world, we, we gender so much, right? Just in terms of pronouns, and that's just English. I mean, we haven't started talking about French, which is a whole nother kettle of fish, right? Um, so just the mams and sirs, the he's, she's, and they's, and, and it kind of goes on and on, man, woman, husband, wife, um, that, you know, just to kind of hold those with strangers whose genders we don't know or the, whose pronouns we don't know and get that information from them so that we're not making these incorrect assumptions, especially for those that have those incorrect assumptions, there's a cumulative impact of that over time. I mean, if you can imagine having an incorrect pronoun put on you for years, day in, day out, it wears down for folks. And some people are, are able to kind of uh, water off a duck's back. Other people, they they socially recluse because it's just like too much to handle. Because then it's not just that you're being misgendered. Then you have to make the tough trade-off choice of do I say something and potentially have safety issues that I have to manage, or uh, do I say nothing and people haven't seen me in the way that I am, right? So it's like really existentialist stuff when you start to kind of break it down frame by frame. So I can share. Oh, sorry. I can share how it feels for me uh, as a parent. Um, so we live in, I live in Philadelphia and it's a very progressive community. We have a wonderful trans community here. We hang the trans flag outside city hall. So lots and lots of support compared to other places in the world. And yet I feel like every day we're pushing a rock up a hill and it's every little interaction. You gotta just, you get constant pressure on that rock to kind of, and then when you're in, intentionally misgendered or accidentally misgendered, whatever it is, that rock starts rolling over you a little bit again. And you have to then all you have to do is you have to keep pushing it. So the mental health strain of that is it's it's 24-7. It's it's you know safety issues we mentioned in, you know, whether that's in the workplace or just, you know, sending a kid out to play and wondering whether somebody on the bus is going to decide that today's the day that they're gonna make an issue out of something that has nothing to do with them. Um, you know, these are just it's a constant mental strain. So the little things are cumulative on top of those big things. They're not independent interactions. I think the image of the pushing the rock is super striking, but also one thing I want to say is that that harm and that rock, that big rock that people are pushing, it's invisible. It's completely invisible. So just because people don't see it, it doesn't mean it's not happening in their community. So that's one thing that's important to mention too. I think it's a, like it's to, a, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Lori. Um, I was just going to say, I would like to just bring out um, one of the most important things um, is that in the current working world, people are now focused in not only on organizational culture, but it's also about bringing experience. Um, so the, the millennial, the Gen Zs in particular, are gonna come into the workforce and they wanna know they're gonna have a good experience. And the, you know, the big challenge, and you know, you, you call it a rock and I, I do see that as well. I think it's a great analogy because if we, as a you know, as a workforce, don't pay attention, the person could do a most fantastic job on a project um, and have a great success, and then somebody, you know, or the boss says something that's you know not quite right. 
that person's day is completely crumbled, right? So, you know, because, and, and, you know, and I also hear that there are others that, you know, they can, you know, water off a duck's back. But ultimately, um, I think the Gen Z um, generation is going to be a lot more loud and a lot more, um, you know, forceful at sending the message that, hey, we're people first, we're, you know, that's who we are. Um, and we need to all pay attention in order to be inclusive. And if we're not inclusive, then that's not going to make a good work experience for me. And I think I'll just take my work somewhere else, right? So, you know, so we all have to be incredibly mindful that we're people. Yep, I think I think you you ended it hitting the nail on the head to say it it's a shared responsibility that we all have. Um, and, it, and it begs the question because I've seen very different opinions around uh, cisgender people, for example, leading with their pronouns on things like social media, you know, LinkedIn, just Instagram too, features where you can embed your pronouns into your profile. And so on the one hand, there's um, a group of people who say, this is absolutely the mark of allyship. On the other hand, um, I've seen feedback that that is confusing, right? And and not as celebratory of of people that choose to take that step. So I'd be interested in in you all's perspective on that gesture and whether or not it does create space for these conversations, or is it a bit um, divisive, right? If that if that makes sense, um, I'll open it up to whoever has has any strong opinions here. I'll, uh, I'll get us started here on this one. I think it's really important for the giving and receiving of pronouns back to the, what I was talking about in terms of assumptions, right? The, the fact that, uh, you know, I know somebody's exterior and how they look tells me nothing about what pronouns they use or gender, cisgender or transgender in, in that respect. So it, it's, it's honoring the fact that we don't know. And so allowing for that space for people to provide that information is really key. And it creates this workplace culture where it's already embedded that there's that giving and receiving, the, the not assuming uh, and you know, whether it's part of introductions uh, for people who are just meeting them each other for the first time or, you know, whatever the case may be or email signatures or zoom, you know, whatnot and certainly cisgender are a very important part of that equation. I would also add that it's not it's actually helpful for some cisgender people and I'll share a bit of a funny story from my dear friend Lori who um, he uses he him pronouns and typically when he emails folks they assume that he uses she her pronouns because we have gendered names in a particular way and so he loves that we're adding pronouns to email signatures because he can clarify that at the outset uh, without these kind of awkward exchanges. Now, of course, there's less of an impact on him than there is trans uh, and non-binary folks for misgendering, uh, but it's still an extra step, right? And why not smooth the pathways? So it's actually something beneficial for certain cisgender people. They're part of creating an allyship. Uh, some people worry, some cisgender people worry that if they give pronouns, they'll be perceived as trans because they feel like 
only trans people are giving pronouns. Um, but certainly the more that it happens, it's just, it's not an indication of trans versus cis. It's just people providing pronouns uh, to smooth that track. And another really important thing that I wanna like underscore multiple times is that it has to be voluntary. We can't be forcing trans or cisgender people to provide pronouns that as part of introductions or email is always an offering that people can self-select into. If we force this gender people, there's resistance that could cre be created. And if we force trans people, it might out them, especially if they use they, them, or any other gender neutral pronouns. So we want to give space and time for people to disclose in the way that makes sense for them. So, uh, and I'm curious to hear what others have to say. Absolutely. Gabrielle, Lori. Brian, anything to add? Yeah, um, I'd be really curious to to hear about um, those people you mentioned, Madison, like the trans people who kind of are not really um, like don't really agree with the idea that cis people should share their pronouns. Because I like from my perspective and from uh, I feel like within my community, it's pretty much like the goal is to create a culture where kind of sharing pronouns is is super accepted and super normalized and to not assume anyone's gender, anyone's pronouns, you know, whether or not they look like they're cis or trans or whatever. And uh, yeah, I feel like I, I love the fact that cis people are starting to, or everyone is starting to add their pronouns to their bios. I think it's super important and it normalizes that process, which I think is super helpful to create a sense of safety around, um, yeah, around sharing pronouns. But yeah, again, like as Kai said, I think, like just coming back to the idea of safety i think it's super important for that to be voluntary and to understand that for some people it's not safe to share their pronouns and that doesn't make them any less valid in their transness or in their identity or whatever like safety is always important and um yeah i yeah. think i'd be curious to hear about people who who don't agree with um, so I, I'm one of those people and it's not that I don't agree with it. I just, I didn't, I didn't do it right away because of something that Kai said. I wasn't sure that I was supposed to be, or I was that person to put the pronouns out there. Right. And so I was that person in the beginning where I was seeing everybody kind of doing it. And I was like, oh, you know, that's great. I think this is awesome but I didn't know that I should be included in that until I was able to learn a little bit more and talk to a few people and sort of ask, you know, why did you do that? Why do you have your pronouns? Oh, okay. So it's inclusive of everybody. Okay. Now I understand a little bit more. And so, you know, I, I had that, I needed that time and space, I guess, to really better understand and ask questions, which I did. And this stuff makes me so emotional all the time. <laughs> So I apologize if I get a little a bit emotional. Every blended episode, I cry at least once or at least afterwards. Um, and uh, so I only just recently put my pronouns out there because I actually didn't even really know. So I am one of those people, not that I'm against it, but I'm one of the people that didn't realize that it was for me. Well, and I think I think what what Madison was saying earlier about companies that just put their brand out there, right, but don't do the work. I think there is a perception among some cis people that putting your pronouns out there is making a statement as opposed to creating space, right? That right. by doing it, and, and some people say, hey, I don't want to make that statement because I don't believe in that statement. But I think other people say, I don't want to make that statement because 
it's not my statement to make. Right. Um, and I think what I'm hopeful for is that it becomes so default that it's not a statement anymore. It's just the behavior, right? Yeah. And I think that's, if we all take something from this, it's that. It's that it's not a political statement to put your pronouns out there. It's just a Making way to a make communication. For- it's a way to make communication more effective. Just yeah. done, right? And like, creating <laughs> safe space. Yeah. Creating safe space. Like that's the part that just gets me every time. And now that I realize it and how important it was for me to put my pronoun, like after having this conversation and conversations I've had previously, how important it is, mm-hmm. you know, that's what makes me emotional. And I, speaking for myself, I appreciate any cisgender person that takes that step because I'll share this um, with everyone after our conversation, but there was a post on LinkedIn. I want to say two or three days ago, they went viral. It was a, a salesperson, a cisgender man who has his pronouns in his signature and he was prospecting as he always does. And a, a customer responded saying, you know, they're a faith-based company, no longer want to do business with this person because the pronouns were in the signature. And that was something that was called out as the reason why we're no longer doing business. And so that still happens. And so it is it is a, a bold step in, in many nooks and crannies of the world to say, even though I do not identify as a member of this community, for example, I'm still going to create the space and I'm still going to leave it in my signature come what may. So um, can I respond to that as a CEO? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just I'm putting my CEO hat on, not my dad hat right now. If you're a CEO and that happens and your response is anything but we don't need that company's money, you've got something wrong with you as a person. Like I'm just going to put that right there that, you know, there's only really one approach. I mean, I suppose there's an appropriate response to try to educate those people, but more than likely in that scenario, you know, you've got to support your employees first. Mm -hmm. And if anyone feels threatened by putting their pronouns because they're not going to hit quota Mm -hmm. this month, then they're working at the wrong place. Just flat out. But that is why we're having this discussion mm-hmm. today, is because we want to change that. We want to create that space so that people do feel comfortable to do that, you know, and so that we can expand that pool, right? Because we we Absolutely. want we want to well, be the extra hands that are helping to push that rock. And and I think hill. Lori put it really well that in five years, ten years. If you're the kind of employer who doesn't support people in that, you're just not going to have employees or good ones at least, mm. right? That, that's just this yes. societal norm that's changing. It's true. Lori, and, did you have anything that you wanted to jump in with at all? Well, these are really great uh, points to, to think about. And in regards to having um, pronouns, um, I'll just relay a story from my experience uh, was that, you know, in our supplier diversity program, we had, um, you know, an individual who was becoming certified as a minority LGBT supplier. And, you know, the the commentary was, well, do I have to come out? Like, because I might lose business. And, you know, and that was a very real conversation, you know, over five years ago. 
Whereas today that conversation um, has radically changed or the, you know, the, the feeling around that conversation has completely changed, you know, um, but there are still those, you know, things that are out there and yeah, you're right, Sarah, like we, as you know, a society can do this better, you know, and, and that's what using your pronouns is all about. We can do this better and we need to get better. Absolutely. So I've got a couple of, I've got a couple of questions on this. One is Kai, you said that it needs to be voluntary. So how do we encourage organizations or how does organizations encourage their employees to maybe use pronouns, right? Because it needs to be voluntary, but we also need to talk about it to get the topic top of mind so that people can have the option. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a few things that come to mind. So there's kind of structural components and cultural components. So first, the structural is providing a pronoun field in human resources systems or any other systems. Maybe there's a customer systems, right? Uh, So just embedding that. So that already signals that this is an important factor. This is part of personal records. And for those who wish to, they can provide it, making sure there's enough options, select all that apply for people who have multiple pronouns, right? So there's a, a few different factors to consider. Then there's the cultural aspect. It's not just introducing them and then hoping people will figure it out. It's actually having a communications plan to say, hey, we've introduced these fields. Um, there's other ways to provide pronouns as well that are more informal, uh, you know, whether as part of an event, putting it on your name tag or part of Zoom or MS Teams or whatnot. So just getting people to understand that, yes, this is something available and encouraging folks to, uh, to participate in it if they so wish, right? Uh, understanding that this is for everyone, like you were saying, Sarah, you just it, you didn't know that it wasn't you know, just for a certain set of folks and you didn't want to be disrespectful by providing your pronouns, right? So sometimes you have to have those direct invitations for people who are like, oh, I had no idea. Oh, excellent. I can provide it. Cool. Happy to participate. There's no skin off my back to participate, right? So um, might as well, right? But people do need those. In fact, I started to write uh, a resource on pronouns and I thought, oh, this will be about two to three pages. 15 pages later, (laughs) I'm like, oh, apparently there was a few things to say about pronouns and this is like a a kind of one like you remember the grammar lesson on this it was maybe a half a day right Mm -hmm. um so anyways all this to say cultural structural both need to be in place to make this successful for folks in the workplace both for trans and non-binary folks to know it's available to them but also to bring along cisgender people who are hesitant you know and don't know where they fit in the equation I love that. I love that. I always love giving tangible takeaways. And I think that that was, that was great. Gabrielle, I want to ask you, so I graduated French immersion. I haven't used the French language since high school (laughs) or very sparsely. Um, And you are, are you French Canadian? Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of the French language has to be with, has to do with gender, right? when you're using the language. So how do we get, how, with that language and knowing that, how do you navigate that? Like, it's just so fascinating to me. Yeah, there's a, there's a, I could talk about this for hours, honestly, (laughs) I tried to make it um, condensed, but um, 
there is like definitely a lot to take into consideration. First, this, the very structure of the language is super gendered. So like there's not just uh, pronouns to take into consideration, but also agreements, right? If you're going to have a past participle or an adjective or a, an article, you know, a, a job title, like all that has is gendered. Um, and there is no kind of like gender existing, quote unquote, existing um, non-gendered uh, way to, to, you know, pronouns and stuff. Like in English, you have the singular they that you can use, but in French, we don't have that existing option. So you have to, what we've had to do is invent. I say we like as a big, large community, I guess. I didn't invent a gender neutral French, obviously, but um, uh, what people have had to do is kind of like come up with invented terms, right? And that was not completely well received by um, French speakers, especially considering the fact that a lot of French speakers, you know, especially in the Canadian context, but also elsewhere in the world, there's a lot of, of, of rigidity around the language just because of that fear of like losing the language. So a lot of like those uh, suggested um, changes to language to make it more inclusive tapped into that fear of losing the language and people were kind of resisting, resistant to it. Um, but it's still super important to do it. And I've heard, I've heard plenty of like non-binary and trans people, uh, French speakers who kind of just stopped using a language altogether and turned to English just because it felt more accepting and inclusive for them. So that's like a big thing too, right? So um, I think it's such an important project to make French more inclusive uh, step by step. You know, there are plenty of accessible strategies to kind of like, there are new pronouns, like the pronoun I use, il, which is a combination of il and elle, so he and she in, in English. It's a combination of both. It sounds like both. It's really close. And also for agreements, you know, there are all, all kinds of ways to write to have both agreements included in the one word. So there are a bunch of ways to do it, but it's kind of like slowly but surely yeah. uh, getting into common usage. Like I've had the privilege to be working with mainly LGBTQ plus community organizations, which for them it's it's common usage, but for bigger corporations, it's starting, it's starting to pick up, but it's definitely a slow process. <laughs> yeah, it's part of that boulder that yeah. Brian was talking about pushing uphill, crazy. It is, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'd be interested in pivoting to to talking trans issues in the workplace, um, because there is certainly an increased amount of diversity and inclusion talk in the corporate world, uh, whether it be women's rights, people of color. Uh, but I would think, you know, the trans and non-binary community are often missing from those conversations, even present day. Um, so why do you feel trans rights are, are lagging behind? I mean, it was only June of last year, I think, where the U.S. Supreme Court ruled for the first time um, on a case directly regarding transgender rights. Um, and certainly not all 50 states, even when I think about the U.S., um, protects the trans community. And so why, why are trans rights lagging behind, um, in, your, in your opinions? interesting one i think because there's a, probably a few different factors uh related to that one of them being kind of the easiest one to answer is stigma right um a lot of people have a hard time just conceptualizing trans people number one and then have a huge resistance to that because we have tied so strongly gender to bodies 
mm-hmm. like just to boil it down, right? And so as a result, people have a hard time realizing that their gender sense of gender is actually independent of their bodies. And yet for many, it'll, they're the same or they're kind of, they're related or linked more strongly in that way. So kind of parking that stigma aspect, because that's a whole huge category. Uh, beyond that, there is also this um, having had the LGBTQ plus community operate as a whole, which there's a lot of power in numbers to push various boulders up up hills, uh, particularly, and of course, having, you know, we're, we're being people with sexual orientations and gender identities. And so often we're a part of, of those communities, you know, fighting for the rights on the sexual orientation front. Um, but sometimes when pushing for certain things like marriage rights, certain other important factors kind of get um, drowned out. I think just by virtue of needing to concentrate effort to get things through, right? So I think there's a practical need for it. And certainly there are other important things at play. And this is played out in various other, they think about feminism and not kind of primarily being about white uh, women to begin with, and then having to course correct and adjust, right? To have those intersectional aspects um, come to the forefront and to work on all together at the same time Mm -hmm. and that they don't need to necessarily be mutually exclusive. Um, So it's not so much a... a, um, you know, we had to do what we had to do to get by and we did it. And now there's a, as a pivoting to understand, okay, now we've got to lift this part of the community up uh, to, to continue that advancing and recognizing that sexual orientation issues, um, while they overlap, they are distinct from gender identity or gender diversity issues. Uh, so somebody in terms of their attraction to say someone of the same gender or multiple genders has different factors at play, even in the workplace than somebody who is, uh, whose gender doesn't align with their sex assigned at birth. I feel like in any like inclusion efforts, like the keyword for me, that's sometimes often very often missing is intersectionality because like, as Kai said, we tend to kind of group these people into categories and, and, and forget the fact that those categories are super, super malleable and not like exclusionary of one another. They're not, um, yeah, they're not as divided as we think. Like if we think about the inclusion of women and efforts to include women in the workplace, to me, that includes trans people, that includes black people because like, like trans women are women, right? So um, I think we have to kind of look into those like existing efforts and kind of tap into what what what, what we can do to kind of incorporate a, a broader spectrum of of who fits in that category because I think those categories are just not pe- people are not just one thing. <laughs> I guess that's what it boils down to. I feel like I, I think from a employer perspective, and I'm going to tread dangerously here for a moment. So patience, please. Um, When I think about racism and when I think about sort of um, different sexual orientations, as an employer, I actually don't have a lot of active responsibility to do things so much as just creating a space where horrible things don't happen, right? Whereas with the trans community, to be properly engaged and create a safe space, you actually have to actively participate, right? So we live in a world that traditionally has 
gendered restrooms. We live in a world where certain medical procedures that are necessary for the safety and well-being of trans people are not necessarily covered under every health insurance program here in the States. Um, you have to actively think about if I send this person on a foreign assignment, are they going to a safe space? Or even in the US, if I'm sending them to a certain region, am I putting them in harm's way? Right. So it's it's a little bit more of an active thought process. Uh, and that's something that I've been thinking about as, as an employer is, is that I have to confront these issues. Whereas with some of the other things, all I, uh, like my getting to neutral is enough here. You really do have to be an ally because there are active things like we're going through choosing a health insurance plan for our company this week. And if I don't consider trans employees, I could create a very bad situation. And, you know, so it's not, um, it's, I don't want to, I, I really hate saying the word harder because it's not hard, but it is something that takes some conscious effort versus a lot of other communities where you're, again, just trying to not cause harm. So I know that was, that was super dangerous. I hope I got that right. <laughs> oh, and it was perfect because you segued, you segued right into what my next question was going to be, which is how does that allyship show up in the workplace, right? And what are the things we can actively do? And you mentioned things like healthcare policies, right? Considering um, those traveling abroad or to certain regions, one that comes to mind um, that we've talked about, even at Fair Market, is just the expansion of parental leave policy. You know, even when you think about the family as we've traditionally known it, it it's very binary, right? And so, um, Another one that really chaps my cheeks is when people throw a corporate function and want to advise me on how I'm supposed to dress and the men dress this way and the women dress that way. And I, I've, I've been in organizations that do that and, and show pictures of what everyone should potentially be wearing, which never sits right with my spirit. And so what, what else would, would you all add to the list of things that corporations can do to actively participate in the advancement of trans people in the workplace. Well, I'm gonna jump in um, and I'm gonna put a plug in for Kai. Um, this is so important um, because it's not just about looking at you know, health plans and stuff. Th those are incredibly important parental leave. Um, and what is more important um, or becoming more important is once you get all of these things in place, then you need to go to the people on the ground floor and you need to give them the education and the knowledge so that they feel comfortable. You know, it, it, many years ago, it was like, well, we have to have a gender neutral washroom. And so you put a gender, gender neutral washroom in but who's comfortable using it? You know, like, are they comfortable walking across and going somewhere different? You know, and, and are the staff and, you know, I'm, I'm going to get a little dangerous here too. Um, you know, if somebody transitions in the workplace, so when one day they're, you know, using the, the men's washroom and, you know, six months later or even a month later, they're using the woman's washroom. You know, like there's just a lot of things to think about and consider. And, you know, again, I'll go back to the experience and it's creating that safe place and being able to know. And, and 
so you know people like Kai and and the consultants really help to identify because there might be things we don't even think about um everybody celebrates you know we have a non non-gender washroom but who's really comfortable using that and you know because who's who's sitting around and who's making opinion you know so so we really need to think on the education and bringing that to the entire organization to ensure that um you know people are behaving in the appropriate manner and feel comfortable and know how that behavior should be and you know quite honestly if they're not comfortable with it um, you know, much like, uh, you know, Brian, you were saying as a CEO, if, if it's not welcome, do I really need that client? Um, you know, if, if there's internal individuals that aren't comfortable, maybe they shouldn't be, you know, at that space, um, or working at that space and need to move on. And that's okay. You know, that's, that's completely a choice that, um, people need to make, but I think, bringing that knowledge and education. I didn't honestly know, you know, all the information that I, you don't know what you don't know. Right. And I'm, yeah. And I'm so glad you brought up the bathrooms because there's such good intentions behind it, but then you don't think about who's going to use it or who's going to feel comfortable using it and who's not going to feel comfortable using it. And I think, you know, that was the first thing, the first conversation that should have been had before everybody started changing their bathrooms, I think. Um, Kai, I want to ask you a question about, so if you're an employee, right, and you're looking to transition or you're transitioning while, while you're working, right, in that workspace, how do you, how do they reach out and seek support like, what would you suggest that they do? And then if you're an employee of that company that, you know, maybe knows what's going on or maybe doesn't know what's going on and doesn't know maybe how to ask the right questions or who to go to, what advice do you have for them? Because I think there's two sides of this coin where I think we can give some advice to both sides to really help the dialogue and create the safe spaces so that we are not tiptoeing around and we're not like, do I, don't I, I'm just not going to because I think that's the best thing to do, you know, which I don't think is the best thing to do. Absolutely. And I think as an, a company, it's really advisable to have a, they typically are called transition guidelines. I like to broaden them a bit to talk about gender disclosure guidelines. So uh, oftentimes there's a lot of focus, especially when it comes to trans folks on transitioning. Uh, now, not everybody transitions in the ways that we think about, like a medical transition. And so kind of de-emphasizing the transition aspects, uh, even though that may be at play and should be supported. Um, that said, you know, if a company doesn't have those, uh, I think it's really important. Uh, it is very daunting for a trans person or trans and non-binary folks to come forward when there's no guidelines, no clarity on what happens, what's expected of me, what can I expect from the company. Uh, so oftentimes people actually delay or hide their transition or their their actual gender identity um, much longer than really is should be the case, right? If we create that safe environment by putting things in in place that makes it that much easier. And we sometimes find that when we help put those in place, there's actually a, a wave of people that come out afterwards because they're like, oh, finally we have some clarity. Here we go. You know? Wow. Uh, 
so that's really key. So that said, um, for, for folks to come forward, it's helpful uh, to go to a manager, to human resources. Human resources should be dialed. Um, here in Canada in particular, we have changed the laws. So I would say a lot of um, companies are getting up to speed on what to do in those cases. Um, apt to know that, especially in Canada, I less can speak less what's going on in the US, but um, there are rights in place to protect individuals so they can safely come forward. Now, for the person, say it's a manager who's receiving that information from a, a trans person who's disclosing this information for the first time at work, it's really key to, um, you know, thank them, number one, because this is such a big step. It is so scary to come out at work. Sometimes people come out, this is the last place they're coming out in terms of they've come out all other places and this is the one that they've been dreading because uh, typically they fear becoming under unemployed, which is a huge statistic, um, especially from US data. There's uh, trans people are three times as likely to be um, unemployed and that gets even worse when we go at intersections so people of color and black folks and so this is where we really want to create that safe space immediately and be like thank you for sharing me i can appreciate how this might be really dot like a big step for you and we're absolutely here to support you all the way along. Let's figure this out together. I'm so honored you came to me to share this information. And uh, I'm going to, I want to be your advocate um, as much as I can. Uh, I will probably make mistakes and I'm sorry, and I will do my very best. You know, something like that, where you yeah. really get to the heart of the matter, human to human, appreciating where they're at in that journey, and then going and clearing the pathway. Because what often happens is, this is not on um, uh, companies' radars. And then uh, there's not a pathway, a clear pathway through an organization. And if a manager or whoever can help take those extra steps and make the phone calls, and rather than saying, oh, you should call so-and-so, you the one who picks up the phone and clears those pathways so that it's a much easier uh, route through the company, especially since there's a lot of things to change, but that's why human resources needs to be involved. But very much the employee, the, the, the disclosing employee should be in the driver's seat on what they share with others, how they share that, who's involved, and, you know, that more or less along a spectrum, you can get as little support or as much support as you need or want. Mm. I love that. And I think it's so important that we give advice like that because, you know, all too often there are situations that come up and, and for various different reasons and various different ways, right? And sometimes we are educated on it and sometimes we're not. And if we're not, it needs to be done the right way because if we're not doing it the right way, then it could really shut somebody down, mess with the mental health. And it's just so important. So I appreciate you for sharing that. Now, I want to ask, and you don't have to share, but if you do want to share, I just want to open up the floor to any stories that you might have that you would want to share uh, that we can sort of paint the picture of maybe what it's like or what something somebody has gone through, or maybe something that somebody has said to you 
that they had good intentions about, but it made you feel a certain way so that we can really start elevating the understanding for everybody as to what their words mean, or maybe their actions mean, or when they see something, they should say something maybe, or do something. So if anybody has any stories that they'd like to share about, you know, what they've been through, or maybe somebody else has gone through that they've seen, I'm opening up the floor to, for us to share that now. So I don't know who wants to go first. <laughs> I don't know if, if Gabrielle, you have a story or Brian. Well, I'll, I'll jump in. Okay. Um, you know, I, I think one of the, you know, as, as my son transitioned and, you know, I've been exposed to more people in the community and gone to conferences and that type of thing. Uh, I think one of the things bringing it kind of back to this that I learned uh, that was hard for me to learn right out of the gate was, um, you know, I think what Gabrielle said at the very, very beginning of this conversation, which is, this is not a defining act, the only defining attribute of, of a trans person's life. And that, especially when it comes to the workplace, but even just day to day that like, I have a 12 year old who's a 12 year old first, because being a 12 year old is enough. Um, right. And that, you know, in the workplace that this is not, you know, no different, you know, as I've learned over the last couple of years in this country with, with race relations, that it's not black people's responsibility to educate white people on how to not be racist, right? That it's not trans people's responsibility to teach. They may choose to do it. And we have wonderful people on the call today who are, but it is not everyone's responsibility. And some people just want to go about their lives and that, that, that was a thing that I had to learn. So I think that's really important, right? Because we hear about that all the time on a variety of different levels. And it's our own responsibility to figure out, you know, what what our gaps are and what we need to learn about and what we want to learn about. Gabrielle? Yeah, I think th those are just really great answers. I don't have much to add except like, for cis people, I think like if you feel like you have questions for trans people, one thing to ask yourself before you ask that question to trans people is, can I Google that? I think is a great question to kind of keep in mind because sometimes, you know, to just avoid that kind That's of like labor that trans people do, you know, a lot of a lot of those questions, you know, you can literally just Google the question directly, the old fashioned way and just have your answer right there. So I think that helps. But it's also OK, of course, to ask questions sometimes, you know, and it's um, I think it's important to mention that, yeah, as, as you said, Brian, you know, it's not trans people's uh, duty to kind of do the, all the education work around trans issues, but also, you know, Google is a great tool. And, and yeah, calling Google. Google the old fashioned way makes some of us feel very old, but <laughs> that's the part for me. <laughs> that's fair. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love it. Uh, um, I'll I'll share a, a quick story uh, and sure. you know there's so many that I had a bit of a, a moment of like which one do I tell uh, so this will this is one just I, I'm going to share it because uh, 
there's kind of so many different factors for trans folks, and this might be a less visible one, uh, especially when I was uh, beginning my journey of sharing with folks within a workplace context. As I said, I used to work in the mining industry, which you can appreciate what kind of industry that is. Um, I don't have to add too much there to, to for you to understand. And so I was very scared to come out because I was an independent contractor and I felt I was prepared to lose all my contracts um, to be who I am. And, and that was important to me. And you know, as part of that process, you know, fortunately went very well. Um, people didn't quite know what it meant, but you know, I we got there together. But what happened afterwards is that I was um, in a meeting where at some point I didn't share, you know, at, at first you're kind of disclosing and getting people to speed. And then at some point I didn't share anymore that I'm trans and I just was myself. And um, I was in a meeting with a client, a new client who didn't know about my history. And in that meeting, they were talking about this report that was done, was really well done in this on this particular topic. And you need to refer to this in your report that you're writing currently. I was like, okay, understand what's the author of that person, the person who wrote that. And they gave my birth name. And I was like, wow, that's like super daunting. Um, you know, I had a, a moment of like, being really scared um, because I, you know, at what point do I like, do I share of that's actually my past name and then have to provide an explanation, right? Um, and for that to be a big realization for folks, right? Um, and so forth. And so I ended up not sharing that, um, but it gave me pause to, you know, being someone with two names, uh, the impact that has on report writing. And if you think people who have patents or who, yeah. you know, have, you know, tickets and if, if they're in the trades, right, it just goes on and on and on where our, we have multiple names out there and that have impacts on, and if we think about references, if somebody is being hired for the first time and somebody who, especially if it's much later in one's work history, might not be up to speed that you, that, that person that you've transitioned, right? Right? So like there's so many complex factors and a lot of them require these real time, really tough decisions that people make. And, you know, the funny thing after that meeting is like, okay, we'll send you the report. And I was like, don't worry, I already have it, you know? So, right. <laughs> um, the, so there's this, this nuance that I think is really important for, for employers to understand. Yeah, yeah. And that's such a good example, because I think, like you said, there's a lot of different stories, right, that you could have chosen. But I think it's the ones that aren't so apparent, or that we don't hear about the most, that I think are the most valuable and can give us the most the most lessons. So Lori and Brian, Lori, I'm going to start with you. I want to talk about allyship. What have you learned about being an ally? And what advice could you give anybody? Um, I think the role of an ally is really important. And um, in particular, I'll just say right out there, um, not during the rainbow month or, you know, it, it's, it's 24 hours. It's not something that you just pick up a you know, an allyship and, and you know, and um, make it work during a, a particular month. It's, it's something that you need to um, put into um, part of yourself, part of your identity, 
that you know that you're you're working just as hard but you've got also the ability to uh, create that safe space and to be a person that others can come to you and you know what i mean by that is you know i had someone come to me um, that wasn't part of the community and asked me some questions and thankfully i was able to answer them so the individual um, was able to get some mentoring and and coaching on on how to manage stuff and I think the allyship and and making sure that you're doing that for you know for the the whole year um, and making sure that you're also promoting. I mean, I know one of the toughest conversations I ever had was I had to pick up the phone and call one of our partners and you know and talk to them about. Uh, certain things and you know it was such a welcoming conversation it was it was uh, incredible it was great um, and the nice part about that is as Alan as an ally I can I can help do that I can help pave the way and I think without um, you know going too deep into the conversation um, it's there's a responsibility you know, that comes with it. So, you know, so you're not just an ally for a week or a day or a month, you're, you're an ally forever. And it's important to continue to be that ally so people can feel comfortable. I guess I have a, a couple of things I can add um, from allyship. Um, so I had two things happened to me the same day. Uh, I was, there was a, a Black Trans Lives Matter march here in Philadelphia. And I was at the march and uh, talk about intersectionality and me having no intersections with that intersectionality, right? But they, one of the first things that struck me was at the beginning of the march, they sort of made an announcement that said, if you are here as an ally, remember that the microphone is not for you, mm -hmm. right? That you're here to listen and support. Uh, and that is for those of us who have grown up with a lot of privilege, sometimes not the easiest thing to do. Um, the second thing, which is somewhat in conflict with the first thing, was also remembering that when we were marching, that those of us who were allies were often standing on the edge of the crowd closest to the danger, because we're not pushing those rocks up the hill all day. And I think you take that metaphor, not just physically, but emotionally, right, that you know, you can be an ally by listening. You can also be an ally by being the one who speaks up and creates and, and calls out the bad behavior, right? Because again, I don't have as many rocks to push up that hill. And so I have a little bit more capacity to speak up and say, you know, no, I'm not okay with that behavior, or, you know, I'm going to take on this fight. Uh, so I think it's finding that balance and listening first, but then speaking up where you can be helpful is, uh, is very important. Man, that was just like, so powerful. I, you know, I just, I love everything about what the two of you just said, because I think it's really important that we learn, you know, from you who have been allies for so long about what that can look like and what your responsibilities are, because there are responsibilities, like Lori said, and it's not easy. Otherwise everybody would do it, but we do want everybody to do it. Right. Um, Kai, did you have something that you just wanted to jump in there with? Yes, I, I wanted to add in that uh, trans people can also be allies to other trans people. Love in, that. 
in the sense that I'm a trans man, so I have certain privileges that, you know, I it's important for me to acknowledge uh, and for me to be allies to say non-binary folks or the, the folks who are under that umbrella where there's not a lot of spaces. So there are particular spaces for me as a man. Uh, they're complicated, um, you know, and so there's things to work on. Um, but I also know that there's complete erasure in most spaces for, for non-binary folks. So for me to step in those um, in those instances, and you know, we're called upon, you know, with trans people of color, and uh, as an English speaker in Canada, to speak up for the French aspects, uh, where there's more complexity, and not just to, you know, uh, have a situation where we've worked on the English, and now we're going to pull in a translator and be like, oh, wait a second, there's so much more work that needs to be done given the complexity mm -hmm. around French. So I can be as somebody at those tables to say, hey, let's get a French translator in here now as we're starting rather than at the end, right? So things like that. Awesome. I love that. All right. Well, we've come to the end and I always ask everybody, give me one thing either that the audience should take away with or what you thought of this conversation. Maybe it's really up to you how you want to end this for yourself, because this is always an experience. These conversations are always experiences that we're sharing with other people and we're, we're able to, to make an impact. So however you want to end this is entirely up to you. Madison, I am gonna start with you instead of end with you this time, because I just think that this conversation, I mean, even for me has just been, I think my one word would be powerful. It's been certainly powerful. Um, I don't even know what I, I want my final word to be, but the, the main thing that comes to mind is identity is fluid. And so I think if nothing else, us continuing to rally around those listening, rally around that fact, that reality, um, and continue to give space for us to tell you whoever we are at any given point in time and continue to renew that commitment daily. Um, that would be, that would be my 20 cents. Love it. Gabrielle. Um, yeah, I do feel really, really grateful to everyone in this conversation. I feel like this has been really uh, a, a beautiful space to share thoughts and I love everything that's everyone's contributed. Um, yeah, just kind of to reflect back on what Madison was saying, I feel like we have to learn to make space for like the sometimes super messy process of being human, mm -hmm. you know, just kind of giving space to that messy messiness, you know, of just being human and trying to connect with each other and with ourselves. And I feel like something that I wish people would take away from this is that when it comes to trans issues, uh, just being curious, respectful and humble will get you so far, so far. Um, so yeah, thanks everyone. I love that. I love that. Lori, over to you. Final thoughts. Um, well, Thank you, Sarah, for bringing this conversation. Um, I will just sum it up in one word, and that is uh, mindful. I love that. Yes, mindful and intentionality. Brian. I just want to restate what Gabrielle just said about um, uh, just coming at it from a good place that 
we probably hit some relatively advanced topics in this conversation for people who have never been exposed to the community. And, you know, if you can just come at it from a place of genuine compassion and, and limited curiosity in the right environments, then, you know, you're, you're going to be, you can do a lot of good for people just, you know, you don't have to be an expert. You just have to be compassionate. Yes. That's what I say about this show all the time. A lot of people say, I don't know if I can come on here because I don't know if I can contribute on that topic. And I'm like, just be who you are and bring your perspectives and bring your thoughts. That's what this is all about. So I love that. And last but absolutely not least, Kai, I left you to last on purpose. Because I just think that you are just going to wrap this up nicely with all the amazing work that you're doing, you know, in the world. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you, Gabrielle, for what you're doing. Thank you, Brian, Lori, Madison, you know, for coming on and sharing this safe space. So Kai, what would you what would you leave everybody with? What has this meant to you? Absolutely. The, the one thing that I like to talk about is uh, a bit of a reframe uh, on trans folks, especially when we're thinking about it within a workplace context. I like to talk about trans people as gifts to the organization and society in general. Uh, I think we are, we have very important contributions, not related necessarily to our identity, but just as who we are as individuals. Uh, but of course, our, our gendered lens does uh, impact how we see the world, how we navigate it, and to kind of think, because oftentimes employers, while they're well-intentioned, come at it from like, we've got to solve a problem. And there are problems to be solved, but not to the point where we see trans people as problems, right? And so that's where the gift component will continuously draw out the best in people uh, so that they can be show up as their full selves, be their authentic selves, and contribute what they want and need to within that workplace context. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. I knew you would wrap that up nicely. So thank you so much to Lori, Kai, Gabrielle, Brian, and of course, my co-host Madison for joining me today. You know, it's been such an enlightening discussion and I just thank you all for being so open with us. And there's so much value in what you've shared. I mean, this episode would make a great jumping off point for more conversations out there, whether it's in the workplace or at home. So I encourage everybody to share this as much as possible. And I think the most important thing is to get just those conversations started. And as always, if this resonated with you as listeners, make sure to share this tough conversation, have those tough conversations, or if you have anything to add to the mix, let us know on social media. Thanks again to our sponsors, Ships, Apex, and Fair Market for helping to make the show happen. We really appreciate you and everything you do for the show. And don't forget to join us next time for episode 11 of Blended and more lively and important discussions around diversity and inclusion.